You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, 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 and good morning. Welcome back, and great job, Bria and Dan. Appreciate you, what's happening there with Every Nation Campus. A couple of things here before we get into our time in God's Word. First of all, I wanna wish uh, all of you a happy Lunar New Year. Yeah, for many many Christians, especially from an Asian or Asian-American background, the Lunar New Year is a different way of tracking the calendar, celebrated with family and friends and food. So my encouragement to us all is if you get an invitation to eat something called Hot Pot, you take it take it. And second, next week we'll be starting something brand new, brand new series. We'll be spending six weeks in one chapter, arguably the greatest chapter of all the Bible. It's Romans 8. It's going to be called Better Than I Began. Better Than I Began. We're going to take a look and see how the gospel makes us better week by week. And you should totally come back or tune in to find out how and why that statement can be true of you. All right, but today, along with our Every Nation spiritual family, we are concluding this series called Abide, and we're taking a look at one more thing that can happen as we make Jesus Christ our heart's true home. So we're going to be in John chapter 17. You can follow along on the screen. Here we go. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I have revealed you, Jesus said, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me, and none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And it's reading of God's word all as people said, Amen, amen. Uh, somebody that you may know, a name, uh, a guy by the name of David Brooks. David Brooks is a secular, uh, non-Christian writer, social commentator. Uh, and about two weeks ago, he wrote this in the New York Times. It's a longer quote, but hang in there with me. He wrote this. In June, a statistic floated across my desk that startled me. In 2020, the number of miles Americans drove fell 13% because of the pandemic. But the number of traffic deaths rose 
7%. I couldn't figure it out. Why would Americans be driving so much more recklessly during the pandemic? But then in the first half of 2021, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, motor vehicle deaths were up 18.4% even over 2020. Why are so many Americans driving irresponsibly? Not only is reckless driving on the rise, but the number of altercations on airplanes has exploded. The murder rate is surging in cities. Drug overdoses are increasing. Americans are drinking more. Nurses say patients are getting more abusive and so on and so on. Teachers are facing a rising tide of disruptive behavior. The Wall Street Journal reported in December, schools have seen an increase in both minor incidents, like students talking in class, and more serious issues such as flights, uh, fights and gun possession. In Dallas, disruptive classroom incidents have tripled this year compared with pre-pandemic levels, school officials said. This month, the Institute for Family Studies published an essay called The Drug Epidemic Just Keeps Getting Worse. The essay noted that drug deaths had risen almost continuously for more than 20 years, but overdoses shot up, especially during the pandemic. In October, CNN ran a story titled Hate Crime Reports in U.S. Surge to Highest Level in 12 Years, FBI says. As Americans' hostility toward one another seems to be growing their care for one another seems to be falling. A study from Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy found that the share of Americans who give to charity is steadily declining. In 2000, about two-thirds two of households made a charitable donation, but by 2018, less than half did. This is not even to mention the parts of the deteriorating climate that are hard to quantify, the rise in polarization, hatred, anger, and fear. What in the world is going on? The short answer, I don't know. I also don't know what's causing the high rates of depression, suicide, and loneliness. We can round up the usual suspects, social media, rotten politics. Some of our poisons must be sociological and some of the poisons must be cultural, but there must also be some spiritual or moral problem at the core of this. Over the past several years and over a wide range of different behaviors, Americans have been acting in fewer pro-social and relational ways and in more antisocial and self-destructive ways. But why? As a columnist, I'm supposed to have some answers, but I just don't right now. I just know the situation is dire. Yeah. Now that's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot because there is a lot of, and I use this word on purpose, not to sound alarmist, not to be extremist, not to scare you, but just to talk about it. There has been a lot of, here's the word, evil. Evil at work in the world today. And of course, there always has been, there always will be to a certain extent. Experiencing evil sometimes is just part of the human experience and condition. And yet, and yet, I think you and I and people like David Brooks, we are feeling something right now that both statistics speak to and experience confirms, which is this. We are facing down evil in ways that are surprising and feel overwhelming. What can we do? What can we do about all the things, the statistics, studies we just heard about? Well, in front of his disciples in the first century, themselves facing a world on fire. 
themselves living within the Roman Empire on fire with infanticide, burning with idol worship and oppression. Then in front of his small band of followers who themselves were about to face the fires of suffering and confusion, Jesus Christ here in John 17 in what's called his farewell discourse, he prays something astonishing. Here it is in verse 15. Jesus prays this. He says, God, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. How about that? I mean, that's astonishing. And again, maybe, probably, definitely, that's not what you want Jesus to pray for you like that. You know, some of you, because again, over the last couple of years, you haven't just been like Jesus, take the wheel. You've been like, Jesus, take me home, right? Like I've had enough. Oh, but Jesus doesn't pray that we would be taken out of the world, out of the the, the things we experience, but that we would be stronger than the world, greater than the world. We would be protected from the evil one. Jesus is letting us know today, therefore, that the greatest force that we face today is not a virus, Though that is real, that is powerful, that is grievous, tragic. No, our greatest threat is to have our souls overwhelmed by evil and darkness. Our greatest challenge is not just to have our our lungs protected from sickness, though that's so important. Oh, but our greatest challenge, again, is to have our souls kept from being overwhelmed by whatever darkness and evil we face. God, Jesus prayed, don't take them out of the world. Protect him from the evil within it. That's Jesus' prayer for you and for me and for all of his followers, no matter their moment. So here's my question then. Since Jesus prayed this, how does God answer this? Hmm? Like, how does he answer that prayer? How does God the Father protect us from the evil one? So what I want to look at today and try to show you here from John 17 is a series of three specific and ancient resources that God the Father gives us to be protected from three specific evils, okay? Three specific resources to protect us from three specific evils. Here here we go. Here's what we're looking at. God has given, he answers Jesus' prayer. He gives us and protects us through, number one, through a name that overcomes division, through a glory that overcomes humiliation, and finally, through a mission that overcomes isolation. A name, a glory, a mission, all from John 17. Here we go. In number one, let's look at this resource, the name. Start like this. You've probably felt this over the last, let's say, two years. Every leader of everything, every industry I have known and spoken with, we have all, I'm lumping myself in there, yes, we have received more, say it with a smile on my face, more angry, more bitter, shaming, you're wrong, dumb, and I'm leaving emails than at any other point I can imagine. Schools, uh, businesses, restaurants, hospitals, churches especially, it didn't matter what was said or not said with respect to race, vac- let's just list them. vaccines, masks, social distancing, open closed, in person versus working from home. These were all no-win scenarios. Why? It's because we have not just been fighting a very real physical virus, which we pass on through proximity. We've been fighting a very real spiritual force that works in the world 
in a similar way. And I don't just mean here at Mosaic, though that's been true. I mean across the world. I mean across the United States. I mean across the body of Christ. And that virus is called division. It's called division. What's at the bottom, spiritually speaking, of COVID-19 isn't just death. It's division. It's division. It's never been easier to divide, leave, hate, flame, accuse, lose your temper, lose your patience. Marriages I've seen ended over these issues. Friendships dissolved over disagreements. Churches breaking. The evil one comes to divide. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he always has. And yet, Jesus prays for us right here. Verse 20. Jesus I pray for those who will believe in me, that's us today, through their message, the disciples, that all of them, wow, may be one Father, just as you are me and I am in you. The point is Jesus Christ prays for our unity. Why is this so important to him? This is the last thing he prays for before he goes to the cross. Here's why. The Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's all about the fight against evil. You've read it, seen the movies. The, the, the series is all about the fight against supernatural evil. And the central plot device in it is the ring of power. You know this, the, the wearer of the ring of power becomes infinitely powerful, but infinitely corrupted at the same time, even when they set out to wear it for good. So to save the world, a small band sets off to destroy the ring by throwing it into the fire of the mountain where it was made. And on the journey, on the way there, the leader of this little company falls. He dies fighting a giant demon, supernatural evil. And the spirits of the company are shattered and they seek refuge. The next place they go to is a forest where they encounter a powerful elf queen who can read their minds and judge their hearts. She's basically a prophetess who looks a lot like Kate Blanchett. Okay. All right. But in this one great scene, she goes person to person, heart to heart, life to life, searching their souls. And then she senses that one in the company there, one man, in a desire to avenge the wrongs that have been done, to avenge his fallen friend, protect his people, that he's going to try to take the ring of power for himself. And so she says this. The quest, this quest, stands upon the edge of a knife. Stray but a little, and it will fail to the ruin of all. Yet hope remains while the company is true. I love that because you notice she doesn't say, pray friends, hey, your greatest threat is like for some soldiers on the outside with weapons. She says, your greatest threat to overcome evil in the world is a threat from the inside. Not a threat from the outside. But if your hearts will remain true to something bigger than all of you, there is hope. Which means this for you and me today. It means the greatest power a company, a business, a church, your family, your marriage can have is the power of unity. It's the greatest power you can have. And that's why Jesus prays this. So what resource does he give us, does he give us to help us? Look at verse 11 and 12. He prays this, Holy Father, protect him. By what? The power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. I love this. He's saying the power of my name is enough to protect and to unify my people. Now, do we believe this today? Do you believe this today? Well, let me say this to you then in light of all this. 
for you to hear. The name that is above every name at Mosaic Church is the name of Jesus. That's the name above every name. It always has been. It always will be. And it never has been. It never will be the name of a political party or a president or a TV show host or a news commentator or whatever. And listen, I know that sometimes we have to speak to stuff that's in the world. The church has always had to speak stuff at some level. It's our responsibility. But if and when we do so, it's always to make sure that the name stays first, that the name is greater. And I believe that right now in our nation, God Almighty is coming through a lot like that elf prophetess and looking at us all square in the heart, life by life, heart by heart, searching our souls and asking us, will you remain true? Will your heart remain true to the name that's bigger than you? Will you remain true to Jesus? Is his name on your lips? Is his name in your mouth? Is his name in your home? Will you remain true to that name and believe in that name's beauty and power and worth? And if we'll do this church, and I believe we will, there is hope for you and for me and for us. We're protected from division, Jesus says, if we'll hold to his name first. Now, again, I know sometimes it's more complicated than that. There are issues and all that. It's complicated. But sometimes, hear me, it's also just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. Holding to the name of Jesus protects us from the evil division. So, in the immortal words of Al Green, friends... Let's stay together. Let's stay together. But there's a second resource. Second resource Jesus gives us to protect us from a second evil. Let's take a look at it. He gives us also, number two, a glory that overcomes humiliation. Let's back up to verse one. Jesus kicks off his whole discourse like this. He begins his prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So Jesus here, he's connecting two things. The first is this term, the hour. The hour, what's this? Well, you may know that in the Gospel of John, the hour is a technical term that means the time of Jesus' death. A technical term means the time of Jesus' death. Jesus was always talking about his hour in John's Gospel. Remember back in, in, in John chapter two at the wedding in Cana, he says to his mom, woman, uh-oh, <laughs> says, it's not my hour. My hour is not here. But later he says, oh, an hour is coming. And here in the upper room on the eve of his crucifixion and betrayal, he says, now the hour has come. The hour is here. The time for everything I came to do. My death, it's here. And he prays this. Now, Father, in my hour, in my death, now let your glory pass into me. Now, first, you may be thinking, oh, I know what Jesus means. Oh, yeah, he means he's going to die. He knows he's going to die a horrible, shameful, painful death. And after all of that, after he dies, after he's resurrected, after he ascends, then the Father's glory will pass into him. But that's not what he's saying, right? No, no, no. What is he saying? He's saying, in my hour now, in my betrayal now, in my, resur- in my crucifixion now, in my beating now, that's where God's glory will shine. Not in spite of my death, but in the midst of my death, God's glory will truly be revealed. What's he doing? Jesus Christ is redefining glory. Redefining glory. Back in the day, 
back in his day, back in Martin Luther's day, 16th century-ish, Martin Luther noticed a trend. He wrote about it, and he contrasted two things, two ways that he noticed people tended to carry around themselves. The first way of thinking, making it through life, was something he called the theology of glory. Put that in quotes, theology of glory. The word of glory. He says most people think, here's how that works. Most people think that like God's glory really shows up when we're feeling good, right? When we're happy, things are going swimmingly. When our vacation photos get posted to Snapchat and we get mega likes, that's when God's glory has shown up. But he noticed right here from John 17, he pointed out that God's glory really comes through self-giving through what he called, by contrast, the theology of the cross. Theology of the cross. You know, it's God's glory, he said, it shines out where? On the cross. Not when we feel strong then, but God's glory shines when we feel weak. And he's right. And that same glory, come on, the glory that comes through self-giving, through sacrifice, Jesus says, that glory, he gives to you and to me. Look at verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me. The glory of self-giving, Jesus says, it's yours. Now, some of you are saying, I don't want that gift. I never asked for that gift. Is there a refund policy on that gift? Can I re-gift it? <laughs> I feel the same way. I don't want that gift. But here's the deal. We have to remember why Jesus says we need this glory. Here's why we need to remember this definition. Verse 14. He said, I've given them, God, your word, and the world has hated them. He's saying the world, it's going to hate you for following me. But you've got to remember this. In your hour of suffering, in your hour of humiliation, that's when the glory of God is leaking its way into the world. Listen, I've got a friend, uh, his name is Paul, not his real name. His real name. Paul is from Iran, and he was born as a Shia Muslim. Uh, he moved to Dubai to work as an engineer, and then he was converted to faith in Christ out of Islam while he attended an every nation church there in Dubai. Uh, about a year and a half after becoming a Christian, he moved back to Iran, where he immediately began to share Jesus with his Muslim friends and his family. He led a number of them to Christ, and these converts became an underground house church in Iran where Christianity is illegal. And Paul was, uh, he was found out he was arrested. He was put in jail for months. He was put in solitary confinement, interrogated daily, and was eventually put on public trial for apostasy, which carries a death sentence. It's a capital offense in Iran. And all signs pointed to a, a conviction and execution, but somehow, miraculously, I remember where I was when I got the news, at the final hearing, with no signs pointed to this, the judge unexpectedly acquitted him of all charges and he was set free. It's amazing. So he immediately fled Iran with his family. He's never been back. Never seen his family or friends there outside of his nuclear family. But here's what he's done. First, after his move to India, then to the Philippines, finally here to the U.S. where I met him, he has started churches wherever he's gone among Iranian Muslims, including a new one happening right now in Turkey. What's happened? The true glory of God has swallowed up all of his loss and humiliation. So let me tell this to you today. Say this to you. You don't have to be afraid, therefore, if and when your coworkers, your teammates, your bosses, your family hate you because of 
Not your arrogance, <laughs> not you saying dumb stuff, not your not well thought through political opinions which you bring up at every single meal. <laughs> not you're doing a bad job showing up late and claiming you are persecuted for it, okay? And when you get disciplined, no. When you're hated because of the name of Jesus, right? What is Paul, not this Paul, different Paul, Bible Paul, what did Paul write? He said, these light and momentary afflictions, humiliations are achieving for us, what, for us, an eternal weight of, come on, what? Glory that outweighs them all. He's saying God's glory swallows up, overcomes, and defeats your humiliations. So church, let me tell you, don't lose heart today. Don't lose heart. God's glory is always revealed in our most difficult hour. Now, I know for many of you, your natural response, my natural response in this difficult hour is to pull away, disengage, leave, cut, bait, all of that from faith and church. That's an understandable human response. But I want to tell you right now, what the world needs more than a human response is a supernatural response. Not for us to remove ourselves, but maybe even to engage and re-engage ourselves. We need to remember now a third resource. What's at the end of what it means to truly abide in Christ? Number three, it's a mission that overcomes the evils within isolation. Look at what Jesus says here. He prays. And he prays all of this he said, here's the result. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's saying, man, the reason you stay committed to the name, the reason you remember that glory swallows up your humiliations is that the world will know. The point is he's saying, abiding in me, staying connected to me is supposed to result in mission within the world. So how do we do that, huh? How do we do that in a world that's on fire right now? full of airplane antics, classroom crises, drug deaths, division. Well, what did these first followers do? What did they do? Well, in their own world that was on fire, where for every 100 women in the Roman Empire, there were 140 men because females were so despised. Women were so looked down on. Infanticide was common. Babies were legally allowed to be killed and they put female babies to death. Where a marriage, marriage was a sham, the institution was, because yeah, while men married for status, oh, they had mistresses for pleasure, where slavery was an expected institution. It's just the way it was in a world burning with egomaniacal tyrants in power. What did Christians do? What was the first missional play they ran? Well, within a mere two months of these words here in John 17, two months after these words were spoken, after Jesus was executed and raised back to life, ascended to his Father in heaven, now his first followers ran this first play. This is what the church did for mission. Acts 2.42. Then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Like, what's this? This is not what I would have expected. This is not the plays with the X's and O's. I would have drawn up. You might not have either. This is not what you've expected. Like, Morgan, are you saying they got real serious about listening to sermons? <laughs> about being together all the time? About eating together, praying? Like, like Jesus, Rome is burning and you want us to listen to some teachings. Yes. Our culture is on fire. You want us to hang out together? 
Talk about how we're doing, open up our hearts. Yes, our kids are being taught crazy stuff in schools and you want us to eat meals together? Yes, the government can't figure out what to do and you want us to pray? Yes. Why? Why did they do this? Here it is. They did this with others because Jesus had done this with them. For three years, he preached, he taught, they listened. Three years, he spent time with them, formed them into a community. He ate meals with them or all the stuff, stuff like culture, power, distance, dynamics, relationships, hygiene, it all comes together at the table. He prayed. They saw God work. In other words, in the face of evil in his culture, Jesus Christ didn't panic. He didn't panic. The church didn't panic and neither should we. And as they did this, what happened? We know what happened. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Their mission to radically and deeply love one another for Jesus' sake grew the kingdom of God. And so I want to tell you today, the truest thing that I can tell you today. You ready? I'm going to preach to you for a few minutes. You're like, I thought you already were. Here it comes. Life is lived best and best lived when you're in over your head on mission with Jesus and one another. Don't settle for anything less in the one life you get in this world. Nothing else is worth it. Listen, I know some of you, you're like, man, I just want my dream home. On my dream home. Listen, I hope you get it. I hope you get it. Because if you do, please, you're going to have to invite me over, right? And I'm going to swim in your infinity pool in your dream house and you can pay for the burgers while we're there, okay? But listen, if you don't get your dream whatever home, car, who knows, don't you get it in the life to come? Come on. If you miss it here, if you miss it here, it's okay. It's just for a few years. So let me encourage you. Don't settle then. We're not going to settle for a sanitized version of the prosperity gospel. Most of us, of course, we wouldn't, we wouldn't you know, ascribe to a hardcore version of that, right? where we think like the point of faith is to achieve great wealth in this life. Most of us don't believe that, but it's oh so easy to slip over into a sanitized version. Not the prosperity gospel, no, but the comfort gospel the comfort gospel but that's not what Jesus prayed for not God take them out of all their problems no protect them from evil may they be one may they love one another may they break bread together may they fellowship together may they pray together and yet listen to some sermons together so that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them see to follow Jesus Christ means you follow him in the mission and some of you, I want to again preach to you for a second. Some of you, especially, I'm going to speak to you students in here, college students, if you're in a room, high school students, middle school, maybe even elementary. And some of you parents with students in those categories, some of them, and you are going to be called into the mission of vocational ministry. Everyone has a calling. And we respect, I respect, so thankful for every calling. Science, medicine, art, entertainment, athletics, all of that. But some, God said, some, the Bible says, God made his gifts to the church. Some of you are future gifts to the church. Some of your children are future gifts to the church in that way. They have callings as missionaries. They're supposed to give their lives to reaching high school, college students, discipling them to change the world and win your child comes to you if you're a parent and they say God called me into vocational ministry your response parents is not going to be 
What are you doing with your diploma? What are you doing with your degree? It's going to be, thank God, God's called some as gift to the church. How can I support you? How can I give to you? Some of you, I'm going to tell you, students, you're going to become the next church planners in this generation, the next apostles, the next evangelists, pastors, teachers. And so that's happened in this church and will happen in the future because you and I, we're saying yes to the mission of God. And when we do this, oh, do you know what happens? It's called a mission. It keeps us from the evils of isolation. I'm not alone in what I do here. We're not alone in what we do. We have people all over the world doing this. Hear me. It's not solitude. Now, that's a spiritual discipline. It's isolation that can become a great evil. It lies to you. It says you're all alone. It says no one's thinking about you. No one cares about you. Everyone's moved on. You're left behind. But I want to tell you, it's not true. No, no, no. The best chance we have to defeat isolation is to pick up and carry the communal mission of Acts 2.42. Rome burns, but the church loves. Come on. The empire rages, the church builds. Emperors threaten, but Jesus Christ prevails. Martin Luther put it like this, though this world with devils filled may threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth triumph through us. Jesus didn't panic. The church didn't panic. We don't have to panic. You feeling the pull of division today? Come on, remember the name. You feeling hurt in your humiliations? Remember the glory God's bringing. Are you feeling isolated somehow today? Let me encourage you. Step out into an on-Christian mission with us here. Let me take a moment as I pray for you, and may we all ultimately abide in Christ. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this. Oh, the gifts you've given us. A name that overcomes division. A glory that leaks in even through our humiliations. And above all, the greatest purpose we can have for our lives. Honoring you, glorifying you, being transformed in your image and likeness and seeing others become the same. I'm praying as a church today, whether we're new here, brand new, first time, 50th time. We'd open our hands and receive these ancient resources. We're still here, God. <laughs> you protect us from the evil one. We love you today, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the name above every name. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.